Thank you, Christina, for that reading. And uh, it's exciting this morning to be with you to worship, continue in our series called Call and Response. Now, the thing I want you to see right out of the gate this morning in the text that we've just read together is that we're seeing Moses, God's man in this moment, the guy he's going to be using ultimately to deliver the Israelites from their oppression in Egypt. What we see embodied in, in this very first verse we're reading today in verse 11 is that he is putting into practice... Some of the characteristics we saw last week in the message we were in, in the the verses just preceding this. So if you were with us last week, you'll remember we looked at the characteristics of these three women who had this incredible shaping presence in his life. And because of their presence and because of their protection, because of their provision, because of their faith and hope and love, we saw not only that they had the opportunity to redeem the moment that he was in, but to shape his life. So it's no surprise at all then that now as we jump ahead some 36 years, now he's 40 years old in this text. Uh, It doesn't say that here, I don't think, but it does say it in, it says he grew up. That means 40. So if you're not 40, you're not grown up, right? Uh, In Acts chapter 7, it tells us that he's 40 years old when this happens. We'll look at that in a minute. But now some 36 years after the events of his childhood, uh, we see him and he's got the right idea, doesn't he? He's in the palace, he's had the best education, he's had the best upbringing, he's got the best lodging and the best clothing, he's been given all kinds of incredible privilege, and yet despite that privilege, he's not grown desensitized to the suffering of his people. It tells us in verse 11, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and he looked on their burdens, he saw an Egyptian beating Hebrew, one of his people, he identifies with them. Even though he's sort of grown up in a separate sense of privilege, he can walk the streets and see his cousins and his nephews and his aunts and his uncles and his parents and his brother and his, he can see his people being oppressed. And that doesn't go unnoticed and it doesn't, it doesn't go without some sense of wanting to make this broken thing right. And I love that about Moses. What we're seeing is that already God has planted in Moses this sense of care and compassion This sense of wanting to do something about the injustice that he sees in the world. And you and I need to take note right at the beginning of this message this morning to say we also want to have these same eyes. We never want to grow desensitized to injustice and to suffering, to the plight of people who might be in a different circumstance than us. It's easy to get desensitized because we see so much of it, don't we? We see so much on the news We see so much on TV. We see so much in our neighborhoods. We're constantly driving past people who are holding out their hands looking for money. We constantly are driving past people who've had to set up tents as a place to live because they have no homes. We're constantly hearing about people whose marriages are falling apart or about children who've been abused. We're constantly hearing about people on the other side of the the planet and even at home that are starving. And over time, when you hear about all this suffering and all this injustice and all this pain... There is a tendency to kind of go, yeah, well, that's just kind of how things are. Marriages fall apart. You know what? It's really sad, but, you know, the statistics say things are bad. Look at the world. Look at the news. Every time you turn it on, it just, things are bad. What am I going to do? And you and I as followers of the Lord Jesus have to be very careful that we don't become desensitized to suffering because it's so prevalent. We have to always have our radar up. We always want to have this heart of compassion This heart that says, no, the injustice and the pain and the hurt that we see in the world, somebody's got to do something about it. And so right out of the beginning here this morning, right out of the gate, the first thing I want you to see is that Moses has the right idea. He's got the right idea. He sees something that's broken and he feels inside himself a desire to see that thing restored, to see it fixed. Have you ever felt that way? 
I would guess that there are some of you here this morning who feel the tension, even in your own circumstances, maybe in your own relationships, maybe in your workplaces, maybe in your neighborhoods, where you see something wrong and you want it to be made right. Maybe you look at the church, maybe our church, or maybe just the church in general, and you see things and you think, this is wrong and it needs to be made right. And that is a reflection of the heart of God. Because the other thing I want you to notice right here at the beginning is that when we see Moses come down out of the palace, come down out of the place of position and power that he had, and enter into the suffering of his people, what we're seeing him do is foreshadow the very character of the Lord Jesus himself, right? Doesn't that look like somebody else to you? Doesn't it look like the way Jesus is described in Philippians chapter 2? In Philippians chapter two, this is a verse we find ourselves quoting and reading a lot because it's an important verse, but Philippians 2, 4, speaking about us and about Jesus says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What we see Moses doing when he's not content or satisfied to stay in luxury and to stay in the palace, but instead we see him not only seeing the plight of his people, but engaging in the plight of his people, is a picture and a type of Christ. He is pointing directly to the way the Lord Jesus enters into our lives in the incarnation. He engages. He's got the right idea. And sometimes in our lives, we have the right idea too. We never want to lose that. We always want to have that sense of recognizing what's wrong, recognizing what's broken, and hungering being passionate to see what's broken, fixed, and restored. The problem for Moses is not that he has the wrong idea. He's got the right idea. The problem is that he's got the right idea with the wrong execution. Pun intended, right? Get it? Wrong execution? No? Nobody? Okay, fine. It's fine. I worked really hard on that joke. It's fine. I am just going to cross it out so I don't do that in the third service. Wrong execution. That's fine. Look at what it says back to the text, Exodus chapter two. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people, and he looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. I mean, it's probably worth saying that any time you have to look left and right to make sure nobody's watching, you're probably doing the wrong thing, right? <laughs> Anytime you've got to glance around and see if anybody's paying attention, it's probably not the right course. Moses sees his people being oppressed and there's the right thing going on in his heart. Something has to be done. Some theologians will even say that this glancing left and right is not so much that he's trying to make sure he doesn't get caught as much as it is looking to see if anybody's going to do anything. And when he realizes that there is no one who will do anything, he decides to step up. I'm not sure. I think based on his response, it's probably more likely that he was trying to keep what he was doing a secret. But he has the right idea. He just goes about it the wrong way. 
He has the right idea and he goes about it the wrong way. Listen, this is important. He had position. He had the right motive. He had courage and justice on his side. But those things are not enough. He had position. He had the right motive. He he had courage. He had justice. But those things are not enough. Because what he didn't have, what he's missing here, is God's plan and God's timing. I think we all know this, but it's possible to do the right thing the wrong way. It's possible to have the right motive and the wrong execution, and that's what we see in the life of Moses here. He wants to do the right thing. There's a seed that's been planted in him, a call that God has placed on his life, but he goes about it in the wrong way. You see, he looked left and right, but what he forgot to do was to look up, and I mean that in a figurative sense. We don't believe that God is just above us. He's everywhere, but he forgot to pay attention to God. He looked left and right. He looked at his own self. He went, I'm in a position to do something about this, and he went right ahead with a plan that made sense to him, but he forgot to seek God in it, and that's the same mistake that you and I can fall into. It's very easy to fall in that, to, to do the wrong things for the right reasons. I had a, a lady that came to me uh, a couple of years ago. One of, the, one of the initiatives that I started in the church I was at last was a thing called lift kits, and we do something similar here, but... It was basically a, a clear Ziploc baggie that had all kinds of uh, personal hygiene items that you could keep in your glove compartment or in your trunk that you could give out to people who were in need on the street. So if you see a homeless person on the side of the road, you could hand them one of these bags. And the bags had all kinds of stuff. They had uh, a brand new pair of socks. There was a toothbrush. There was toothpaste. There was a, a bar of soap. There, I mean, there was all kinds of stuff that, that people might want just, to, just for the sake of their own sort of human dignity as a human being. And we'd also put in there a little card that says, hey, not only do we want to care for your physical body, we would love to be able to pray for you. And if you need prayer for any reason, you can call this number. If you don't have a phone, this is the address of our church. We worship at these times. We invite you to come and participate in our service, and then we'll pray for you after the service. We'd keep those in our car. I made a few and gave them out to people, but I also just gave them a list of things to make their own bags, you know? And so a couple of months after we'd been doing that, I had this older lady in our church and she came to me. She says, I really love this idea of helping people out with these bags, these hygiene kits. Uh, She says, but the homeless people do not like it. And I said, what do you mean? And she goes, they don't like it. They get really angry when I give them these bags. And I said, that's uh, the opposite of my, like every time I've given out, people seem really happy. She goes, no, it's terrible. She goes, part of the problem is we're trying to cram too much stuff in the bag. And I said, well, it's a gallon bag. There's not that much in it. She goes, oh, a gallon bag. She says, I've been cramming them into sandwich bags. (laughs) And I said, well, let me get this right. You're taking a bar of soap and a toothpaste and a toothpaste. I mean, like, when you put all that stuff into a sandwich bag, that's got to be pretty tightly packed. She goes, yeah, it's like a brick. (laughs) And I said, okay, so you're taking this sandwich bag with all this stuff meant to help somebody to the park, and you're giving them that. Why, Why? I still don't see why they wouldn't be happy. She goes, well, I'm an old woman. She goes, I can't just walk up to a stranger in the park. So I've been standing at a distance and I've been throwing them (laughs) so that I don't have to get too close. And she says, but the problem is I have kind of a quiet voice because I'm an old woman. And so a lot of times the homeless people I'm trying to bless, they don't see the bag coming and it ends up hitting them in the head or the face and they get really mad, you know? And I was like, yeah, I imagine they would get really, I'd get really mad if you threw one of those in my face too, you know? I said, you have the right heart in it, but you're going about it the wrong way, right? The right motive, the right heart, you see the need, but in practice, the way you're entering into it is wrong. And so I talked to her about taking a partner, you know, going with somebody who had a louder voice, actually interacting with people and whatever. 
But that's a great picture of what happens so often in our own lives. Moses has the right idea, but he goes about it in the wrong way. And something we absolutely have to understand is that God doesn't just care about the ends. God can be glorified in the end result of the thing we're approaching. But God also has the potential to be glorified in the means. And he intends to and absolutely expects to be glorified not only in the ends, but in the means. Does that make sense? So it matters how you do the right thing. It's not enough to see your people in pain. It's not enough to see injustice. It's not enough to be able to identify a thing that's broken. We not only can glorify God in identifying the problem and resolving the problem, but we're called to glorify God in the process of resolution. Does that make sense? He cares about the means as much as he does the ends. And that's important for us to understand. It's why in Joshua 1.7, he's so particular about being obedient. In Joshua 1.7, it says, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it from the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. It is God's expectation that we would honor him not only in the end result, but in the process along the way. And, and sometimes his process is different than the one that makes sense to us. To Moses, he looked at it and he went, hey, there's an Egyptian slave driver beating an Israelite. I'm just gonna get rid of the Egyptian slave driver. But listen, this wasn't God's plan. Partially because that's too slow. It would take too long to murder every Egyptian individually, right? If God wants to take the Egyptians out, that's the slowest possible way to do it. And it wasn't God's plan. But it's, what's more important than that is this. God prefers a method that doesn't bring glory to anyone but him. God prefers, prefers methods that don't bring glory to anyone but him. See, Moses is looking at the problem and he's starting to picture himself as a bit of the, uh, a bit of the Israelite Batman. You know what I'm talking about? He pictures this thing in his head and I don't know exactly how he thinks it's gonna play out but he comes down and he beats the Egyptian and he hides him in the sand and then we see it in the text the next day he sees two Israelites that are fighting and you can, you can almost imagine he comes and stands in their midst and he says, listen my brothers, why are you doing this thing? We shouldn't be fighting with each other. What's the picture here? The picture is of him focusing them on himself. He's trying to do this thing in his own strength. He's driven by self-interest and self-pride, and he's also driven by anger. And it's worth noting that God is never going to put us on a path to reach a godly end fueled by anger and bitterness and hatred. That God is always gonna use peace and patience and joy and love. Those are the fuels for the Christian life. Moses jumps down in anger to do this thing, but it's not God's plan, because why? God is gonna orchestrate things to bring glory to himself. It's why Goliath isn't killed by a mighty warrior. He's killed by a shepherd boy who has a rock and a sling. The method there is important. It's not just that Goliath is killed, but rather that he's killed in that way. Because nobody that looks at what happens with David and Goliath goes, wow, David is a mighty warrior. They look at that story and they go, David serves a mighty God. It's why Mary comes and, and she rides on a donkey into Bethlehem. It's why Jesus is born in a stable and wrapped in swaddling clothes and he's not in a palace and he's not sat upon a throne. Nobody looks at that story and says, wow, Mary is incredible. I mean, some people do, but it was not God's intention for us to focus on Mary. The focus was to go look at what an incredible God 
that works through these humble means. Sometimes we have the right idea, but we go about it in the wrong way. Maybe because we're fueled by anger, maybe because we're fueled by our own sense of purpose, maybe because we think our plan is best. The Bible talks about the fact that the Israelites, the Hebrew people, have a zeal for God. It says this in Romans 2, that the Hebrew people had a zeal for God without knowledge of God. And you and I have to be very careful that we don't fall into that same trap. That when we see a problem, we don't just have a zeal for God, but we are informed by who he is and what he said, by his character. And that we don't try and do things in our own strength. Philippians chapter 3, verse 3 says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Then Paul gives us a little bit of his resume. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. I think sometimes we see a problem. We've got the right idea. We see the brokenness and the injustice and the hurt. We see things inside the church and outside the church and we recognize that they need to be fixed. But we try and fix them in our own strength. We try and fix them fueled by anger and frustration and what happens then is we enter, into the pro, you know, we enter into the process of trying to redeem a situation with our dukes up, don't we? Hey, I'm here to fix you. And you can imagine how that works and how that's received. We see it in the text. You see, when you take the right idea, we're going to do a little math this morning. You take the right idea and you add the wrong execution. The end product is re- resentment on one hand and fear and disillusionment on the other. Fear and disillusionment in the person that's going about it the wrong way and resentment in the person that's being approached. We see it right here in the text. It says in Exodus chapter two, verse 11, when he went out the next day, verse 13, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. Don't you imagine that Moses was pretty pumped about what he'd done? He'd made this little mark in the oppression of his people by killing this slave driver. And he goes out the other day, or the next day, and he's fueled by, by the progress he's made, by his own success, by his own power and influence. He says, you two Hebrews shouldn't be fighting. He goes out the next day, uh, and he says to the man in the wrong, verse 13, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and judge over us? Well, it's an interesting question, for the record, and kind of as a side note, God did. God put him in that place. Moses doesn't say that. He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. The first response, when you add the right idea and the wrong execution, one of the first things we see is resentment and resistance. I would guess, I would guess that there are some of you that even as I've been talking about this, this idea of having the right idea, having vision for restoration and reconciliation, for things to be redeemed, but going about it in the wrong way, I would guess that there are probably some of you sitting in the room that go, yeah, I know people like that, right? I know people who have the right idea, but go about it the wrong way, and I hate those people, right? 
You can probably think of particular circumstances in your home, particular circumstances in the workplace, maybe in your families, maybe in our church, and you look at it and you go, yeah, I know exactly what that's like. You're right, Darren. There are people who have a good idea, but they go about it in the wrong way. I'm angry with them, and I'm frustrated with them, and I don't want to hear their voice anymore. Well, that's a perfect example of what we're talking about. That when you have the right idea and you go about it in the wrong way, what's created is not a sense of gratitude. What we don't see here are the people that he's trying to help. The Hebrew people go, hey, it's Moses. You know, we've started to call you the Israeli Batman. Thank you so much for interjecting yourself here. We're so grateful for you sort of reminding us that we have a common enemy and we shouldn't be fighting with each other. You're so wise, Moses. Thank you so much for coming down from the palace to bestow your wisdom upon us. That's not the response. The response is to pull the rug out from underneath his authority, to pull the rug out from underneath his position, to pull the rug out from underneath even his passion for doing the right thing. They go, who are you? Who made you a prince and a judge over us? And despite the fact that the literal answer to that question is God, put him in that spot, they're resentful, they're frustrated, they're bitter, they're angry. And I would guess that there are probably some of you in this place who have resentment and bitterness, and anger, and frustration, because maybe somebody came at you with the right idea, but they came at you the wrong way, and so as a result, you've put up a wall, or you've held those people at arm's length. There's become a division between you. The first thing that happens when you add right idea, wrong execution, is that you get resentment and resistance, but it's also worth noting here that that in addition to that, in the person who had the passion in the first place, That in the person who initially had the vision and in the person who initially had the dream to make a difference, what happens when you have the right idea, but you go about it apart from God's plan and his purpose, his way of doing things, when you don't look up, but you just look left and right to make sure everybody's okay, what happens when you have the right idea and the wrong execution is that you also then develop in yourself a sense of fear and disillusionment disillusionment about your initial passion. Look at what happens here. He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Verse 14, do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. He becomes fearful, fearful for himself. And rightly so, verse 15, when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian and he sat down by a well. Look at what happens here. Moses starts with a passion to rescue people, to protect people, to care for them. to to take them out of the oppression they're in. And that is the right idea. But because he goes about it in the wrong way and he meets with resistance and he meets with resentment, what happens? All of a sudden, his eyes get off of the people and onto himself. He goes, oh no, the thing I did has become known. Pharaoh says, I wanna kill you. The people say, we don't wanna hear what you have to say. And so what does he do? He runs. He's afraid for his own life. And because he went about it the wrong way, what happens is that the initial vision, the initial dream, The passion that fueled him at the beginning, it disappears because he's preoccupied with his own skin. And this happens in our lives as well. I would guess there are some of you in this place who remember times in your families and in your workplaces and maybe in the neighborhood, maybe in the church, where you had the right heart, but you went about it the wrong way and you were met with resistance, you were met with resentment, and you let your dream die. 
because you were worried about what people thought about you, because you felt bad, because people were mean to you, or they didn't listen to you, or you didn't feel like your opinion was heard, you didn't feel like your voice was regarded, you didn't feel, feel, feel like people would allow you to influence them the way you wanted to, and so sometimes our response in that is to go, well, fine, if you're not going to listen to me, then I'm just going to go to Midian, and I'm just going to find a cute girl there, and I'm just going to become a shepherd, goodbye, Right? But look at what's happened in that process. He had a great idea. He had the right heart. He wasn't, he wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking about the plight of other people. And that got abandoned when it started to be difficult. When he met resistance and resentment. I would guess that there are some of you in this place who God has put a fire in. A fire to help the poor. A fire to see the church glorify God in all the ways that it can. A fire to see the lost reach with the gospel of Jesus. And there have been seasons of your life when you felt like, let's take the world. Let's crash the gates of hell and take the world for the glory of God. But you were met with some resistance. Because maybe the way you wanted to do it was your own way. Maybe the way you wanted to do it was the way that made sense to you, but you'd, you'd only been looking left and right, and you hadn't been looking up. And so in the process, you were met with resistance, and then somewhere along the way, you went, fine, if that's how people are going to be, forget it. I'm just going to do my own thing. I'm just going to you know, have my little Bible study. I'm just going to sing my songs. I'll come here on a Sunday morning, and I'm going to go off and do my own thing. And that's the tragedy of right idea, wrong approach equals fear and disillusionment. In this text, we see Moses abandon the thing that, that he had been called to. He thought he would be seen as God's instrument. It says in Acts chapter 7, verse 23, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand they did not understand. And he ends up going to Midian. We're going to talk about that more next week. Moses ends up afraid for himself. He forgets his people and runs for Midian. So often when our wrong approach fails, we abandon the idea. Moses was the right guy with the right view. He just took the wrong approach. God wanted to deliver the Israelite people just like Moses did, but God wanted to do it in a way that everybody would be able to look at and not go, wow, Moses is awesome. He wanted to do it in such a way that everybody would go, Moses is God is awesome. And that's important. A couple of quick things in application as we close this morning. It's important for you and I, it's important for you and I to keep our eyes and hearts open to what's wrong in the world. If you watch the news at all, you can become desensitized to pain, to hardship, to suffering, because you just see so much of it. We're so inundated. And you can drive down the streets of our neighborhoods, you can walk around in our church, and you can see people that are hurting, and yet you don't see them. It is absolutely essential for God's people, for you and I, to keep our radar up, to always be sensitive to the plight of human beings like ourselves, people that are hurting and lost and broken and in need. We never want to lose that passion that God puts in us to be like him, who didn't consider equality with God something to be clung to, but entered in to our pain to restore us. We want to keep our eyes and our hearts open. The second thing I want you to see this morning in application is that we have to approach these problems in God's timing and God's way. We have to approach these problems in God's timing and God's way. 
You may know some people. I mean, here's the thing. Let, Let me just be honest with you for a second. I've only been the pastor at this church for three weeks. But I know that there are people sitting in this room listening to the sound of my voice who have resentment, who have bitterness and hatred towards other people sitting in this room. I know that there's a brokenness in this place, but it's not because all these ideas were necessarily wrong, but it's because a lot of times we approached ideas with our dukes up. We approach these ideas not fueled by peace and love and faith and hope, but sometimes we approach one another with anger and bitterness and a sense of our own rightness. And listen, I believe that God has great things in store for this church. I believe he's gonna take us to new heights, incredible new places, but we have to be reconciled with each other. We can't go about the right things the wrong way. We have to take take God's timing and God's approach. And that brings me to my third point. Don't let failure neutralize you. Don't let failure neutralize you. There are some of you within the sound of my voice this morning who are sitting on the sidelines spiritually because you're hurt. Because you tried a thing and it didn't go the way you wanted it to go. You talked to your neighbor about Jesus and he told you he didn't want to talk to you anymore. You tried to start a Bible study in your neighborhood or at your school or at your job and nobody came. And so you gave up and you ran to Midian and you're taking care of sheep and they're a lot easier to take care of than people, right? Don't let failure neutralize you. You know, the reality is that Moses was a broken man because he was a human man. And here's the other reality. All of us are broken as well. All of us in this room, all of us who want to see God glorified in this place, all of us are flawed and broken. We're all sinners in need of the grace of God. And so eventually, maybe you haven't failed yet, maybe you haven't blown it yet, maybe you haven't had the right idea and gone about it the wrong way yet, but it's only a matter of time before you do that. When you fail, don't let it neutralize you. Don't let it neutralize you. And the the flip side to that same coin is this. Don't let resentment harden you. The reality is that what Moses said to those two men who were fighting, that's actually a pretty good point. Right? He actually had a pretty good point. They shouldn't be fighting with each other, but they couldn't hear his point because they were hardened with resentment to his approach. You may be here this morning and you've allowed your heart to become hardened because of resentment because maybe somebody came at you with a wrong approach, with a flawed approach, with a broken approach. Maybe somebody came at you and and, and their heart was in the right place, but the way they brought it to you, it created a hardness in you. Would you confess that to God this morning? Would you turn loose of it? Don't let failure neutralize you is one side. The other side is don't let resentment harden you. Pray that God will break up that hardened soil. Be reconciled to your sisters and your brothers because we're all flawed people who sometimes don't come at it the right way. Keep our eyes and hearts open to that which is wrong. Approach problems in God's timing and God's way. Don't let failure neutralize you and don't let resentment harden you. That's the way forward for us. Right idea, right approach equals the glory of God. Right idea, right approach equals the glory of God and that's what we can endeavor to do together. You know, we have the opportunity this morning to celebrate baptism together. And that's going to happen in just a second. And it is a picture of what we're talking about. It is a response to the call of God, a correct response to the call of God. Now, in this church, we don't believe that the Bible teaches that baptism has anything to do with your position in Christ. 
We are saved by grace and only grace through faith. It's the gift of God, not of works. Even getting dunked in a tank, that doesn't have anything to do with the reconciliation that happens between man and God. That has everything to do with the saving work of Christ. But what we do believe is that Jesus himself ordained this by commanding it. He said, go into the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything which I've commanded you. So in a few moments, you're gonna have the opportunity to see some folks walk up this way in obedience, right? It's both the right idea and the right execution. In obedience to the command of Jesus to declare, I am identifying, I am showing solidarity with the death and resurrection of Christ. This is a picture of what Jesus did. Now, in times gone by, you get dunked in a tank like this or in a river more likely, and you immediately put a target on yourself. To be baptized in the first century was to be identified as a target by those who hated Christians. It's not so much a target today. It's maybe still a little bit of that. We're gonna have the opportunity to celebrate it in this place, but recognize that following Jesus is not easy. And so what we'll do here is they come to be baptized. They're declaring solidarity with the death and resurrection of Christ. We, as the body of Christ, are gonna celebrate that this morning, but we also have to recognize that they are identifying with someone that immediately makes them a target. And so we're also gonna recognize them and we're gonna be committed to come alongside them as a body of Christ. Right idea, right execution equals glory to God. Let's pray, and I'm gonna invite Scott to come up. God, we pray that you would just be glorified in our lives as we try and do the right thing the right way for your glory. Forgive us for the times we've had the right idea but the wrong execution and it's resulted in resentment and resistance for fear and disillusionment. Will you restore in us the dreams we had before, the vision and passion we had before and not allow us to distance ourselves from the things that are broken in this world that you would use us to reconcile. We thank you for those who will be baptized and we pray that you would be glorified in this celebration. In Jesus' name, amen. Scott.